Welcome, everybody, to Talking Fates, the Star Wars podcast where we discuss another Star Wars podcast, specifically Duel of the Fates, a podcast in nine parts based on the alleged Derek Connolly, Colin Trevorrow draft of the Star Wars Episode Nine script. I'm John Murray, co-host of Star Wars TV Talk, along with my TV Talk cohort, Zach Logan, and we are joined this week by Duel of the Fates composer and sound engineer, Casey Lyons, who also plays Luke Skywalker in this eighth episode of the limited run nine installment podcast. All right, Zach, take it away. Well, I just wanted to start by saying that we are super excited to be joined by Casey, who's very interesting as far as the involvement that he has in this production of Duel of the Fates. So, Casey, how are you doing? Uh, Doing super good, Zach. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, John, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Casey didn't ask, but uh, I'm doing good. (laughs) Oh, I wasn't interested. <laughs> no, 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 no. Figured no. as much. Figured as much. <laughs> so before we get into the sound stuff, you are obviously a Star Wars fan. That is correct, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, since the year I was born, uh, I've been a massive. Uh, I'm I'm a, a, a Star Wars movie fan, mm. um, and I can further slice that down to I'm a um, original trilogy and sequel trilogy fan. Um, not much of a prequels guy, but, uh, but yeah, I, Star Wars has been a massive part of my life, uh, the entire time. So what was your first experience with Star Wars? Like there must've been one seminal moment where you cross paths with Star Wars. Do you have a story? Uh, to be honest, I don't remember because, <laughs> uh, it, it's been, it was like since before, like, because my dad was a big Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. um, to, to fully date myself, uh, I was born um, shortly before uh, the first Star Wars movie came out, mm-hmm. uh, like weeks before. Um, and technically, I have seen them all in the theater uh, because there was a double feature of uh, the first Star Wars. I, I have a hard time calling it New Hope because that's not what it was <laughs> to me. You're um, a purist. I'm, I'm getting a sense of, of where you come from on all this. I am, but I'm not like a, a, a total hard ass about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but so so there was a, a when Empire came out, there was a double feature uh, and my, my dad took us to that, my sister and I. Um, so technically, I've seen them all. Um, all the ones that count to me in the very theater. Good. Actually, I mean, I've seen the prequels in the theater too. But like most of us who grew up in the eighties, you just kind of absorb it through osmosis. It, it was just, it was the, you know, the entertainment property of everyone's imagination. At that, It time. has always been there. It's always been there and it's always sort of permeated everything I've done. Mm-hmm. Now, when Jamie crossed paths with you and gave you the opportunity to step in and craft this alternate version of episode nine. Uh, what was your initial thought? Were you eager to take it on or were you trepidatious or wh- how tell us that story? A uh, little of both really. I mean, when, when it first started out initially, it was just like, Hey, do you want to come to a voice on this thing? Um, you can play Luke. And I'm like, dope. Yeah, I'm totally going to play Luke. Uh, uh, and then, you know, we got to talking a little bit more um, and he was, he was kind of talking about his, his ideas and he was like, well, maybe you can write, cause I'd written a theme song uh, for um, a podcast that he was doing, uh, you know, before this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, oh, can you write a theme? And I'm like, hells yeah, I can write a theme. <laughs> and so I wrote that and then I scored the trailer uh, and he was like, it'd be really cool if I could get the whole thing scored. But ultimately what he was going to do is just take little snips and bits of, uh, John Williams score, and right. just kind of paste them over. Um, and I was like, well, 
you know, this whole pandemic thing, I kind of have the time right now. I'm at home. I am at home, you know, with two young kids. So that's that. <laughs> Please give me an excuse to escape into a pair of headphones <laughs> for a few hours. Um, well, the thing is, I am their primary caretaker. So the whole thing has just been an insane, uh, an insane thing. But, uh, but yeah, I was like, you know what? I think I can craft, I think I can cut out some time for, uh, to, to make this happen. And then I just sort of like, delve headlong into it and uh, it's been in it has been nothing short of insane it is very difficult to do very difficult to get done but uh, it's been a, an absolutely wonderful challenge awesome well that has been one of the big things that people have brought up about the show when they first listened to it is the score and how it it kind of captivates you i mean it's the first thing you hear obviously whenever you launch a new episode and so it really gets you in the star wars mood it is really awesome uh to have something that is pretty original but feels like star wars mm -hmm. so how did you go about creating something like that that was actually pretty difficult because as i say like as a human star wars permeates my whole life <laughs> uh, as an artist star wars certainly storytelling everything about star wars sort of uh, informs me as an artist so as a musician of course uh it, you know john williams score not just in um you know, not just his Star Wars score, but like, I mean, everything he's done, Close Encounters, uh, E.T., everything, you know, it's the score of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So I am greatly informed by him as a musician, but I am also not, you know, I I don't really have a, a much of a John Williams sound to, to what I do, because a lot of what I do, I started out writing a lot of punk rock. Uh, I kind of started out in punk rock and then um, moved into kind of acoustic stuff and, and then into electronic stuff. And now here I am here. So I kind of tried to take my inherent knowledge of John Williams and, and of kind of the, the general instrumentation that he uses. And then I tried to kind of just use what's already ingrained in me and then just throw away anything. Now, every once in a while, you will hear... Uh, a couple notes of the original score uh, uh, peek through. And that is absolutely intentional mm -hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, I do, I want it to feel like, you know, Michael Giacchino did a great job with um, Rogue One. Right. Uh, he, he did a really great, it took me a little bit of time to adjust to, but I was like, you know what? He did the perfect thing because it really is his score, but he really takes those key elements of, of what John, what makes John Williams score epic and great um, and, uh, and adopts those and, and has these little moments, little familiar moments. So that's ultimately what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the Rogue One score because I was going to mention that as well. <laughs> um, because it is true where it, both your score and his from Rogue One is definitely reminiscent of what has come before, but mm -hmm. it's still enough to where it's like, oh, that's different. And it's mm -hmm. and it's not like a bad different, but it's really cool to, to listen to. And uh, just this whole production, the sound and everything going into this entire production of Duel of the Fates has been as best as you can get it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and that's, that, that's sort of been our mandate is, is because everything was recorded over the internet. I mean, it's, it's very much a quarantine project because, you know, we couldn't, we physically couldn't be in the same space. So, right. um, and not everybody in a cast this size is going to have the proper equipment. Um, so we've got people recording on iPhones. We've got people, um, recording on, I don't even know what. Uh, so I've got like sound problems thrown at me every <laughs> week. 
um, that it's been a, it's been an amazing trial by fire. Uh, I'm sorry. I have no idea how I'm going to make this sound source audible or even, uh, uh, you know, listenable <laughs> and, and it all balances out, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you had your work cut out for you, even just, um, recording with some of the voice talent for this after show that we've been doing. We know that, uh, you know, some have microphones, some are on little lavaliers or Apple AirPods or whatever. So you're, you're just getting whatever they can throw at you. And, yeah. uh, I'm quite sure getting it all cleaned up and audible is no small feat. So not only did you have a massive undertaking with the score and trying to find something reminiscent of star Wars without necessarily trampling over the the classic themes, you also had to you know spin gold out of some pretty rough <laughs> source material. So, um, the way that this project has come together, I don't think you could understate uh, how much your involvement and just the the sheer effort <laughs> that you threw at it must have, you know, really helped the the finished product to uh, shine as much as it does. So honestly, I'm I'm just trying to match Jamie, uh, the the real mastermind, and I'm sure it's been brought up several times. The real mastermind on this thing is Jamie Do. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was the one who envisioned it. He was the one who mapped everything out. He was the one who gathered all the voice talents and everyone. And he's the one who sends me the voice files, mm-hmm. uh, the vocal files. So he did all the editing for that and everything. Like his his was a Herculean task to begin with. Right. And he's somebody who amazes me with his ability to uh, to just kind of like look at a project and go cool okay let's just do this <laughs> and then he does it as effectively as a human can i think and uh uh yeah i mean i i everything would have absolutely fallen apart without him so my job while it is uh um lengthy and there's, there's a lot for me to do uh it's it it's made possible by jamie well, your checks in the mail. We'll let him know that uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wrote that for me to say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, uh, good producers are hard to come by, and when someone's got gumption and just the stick-to-itiveness and mm-hmm. the problem-solving capacity to just continue to weave their way through a production like this, yeah, you can't understate that either. But for what actually ended up in the the, the finished mix, uh, well, there's just so much of you there that uh, sure. I want I want to applaud it, and I think it was obviously the right call to go with a, a custom score over just pulling in sound snippets from, you know, what's come before. Cause it would be so much more disjointed. You, there's no way that you could create the sort of the seamless flowing, you know, emotional resonance that you can get when the score can really react appropriately to, well, you know, what's going on. In the this story. is it. Like it would have made, it would have, like originally the project was meant to be a bit of a sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, sketches of, of, uh, you know, what the, what the, the film could have been, but it just sort of coalesced into this thing. Like the, the ball just kind of kept rolling and it was like, well, what if we did this? Well, what if we did the score? Because yeah, like you're right. I mean, if you had a pasted something over a scene, I mean, you, you can't just like you said, you're not going to get the emotional resonance. Yeah, you, you can't hit the beats. You can't really speak exactly, to the, exactly what that scene is mm-hmm. when you have a one size fits all soundbite that has to just kind of merge with it. Yeah. So we're eight episodes in We're we're rounding out the, 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 the whole podcast. So we, we kind of know what to expect as far as quality at this point, but I continue to be impressed with just yeah. how engrossing the, the finished episodes are. And I'm uh, so yeah, bad. Gotta, gotta just give you your props. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's, I mean, it, it has been a little, uh, 
Um, you know, I've been sitting in my little insular world, uh, uh, just trying to get this thing done and also trying to, uh, feed and entertain two young children, um, (laughs) while, while my wife works. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I haven't really had any outside time to kind of like bask in what the show Mm -hmm. has been or, or, um, or hasn't been as a case. So, I mean, this is very heartening to hear, uh, that's, uh, that it's being received well. So obviously you didn't work with an orchestra because during this quarantine, you couldn't gather that many people. So I don't really, I'm not up to date on musical software and I am not a very musical person. So I'm very unaware of how you actually did this. So can you explain it in a way that is understandable to me? How you did it? Sure. Um, well, uh, that actually, I have to give a, a major shout out to my wife uh, because I was working on my, my regular studio laptop and it was starting to cut out on me. Uh, it just, it was not, um, it couldn't handle the, the workload. Uh, my birthday was coming up. So for my birthday, my wife got me this bananas uh, laptop. It's basically a gaming laptop. Uh, and, and without that, none of this would have been possible. So she, sure. she really saved my ass in that regard. Uh, but otherwise, so basically I'm just running a program called Studio One. That's my DAW, uh, which is your uh, digital audio workspace. Uh, all of the files are dumped into there, uh, and I have a library of instruments um, called East West Hollywood Orchestra. That's uh, those are all my sounds. Um, some of them are relatively new, so I'm actually getting used to uh, uh, to a bit of it. But uh, but yeah, that's my orchestra. I mean, and and to to be quite honest, I mean, I am teaching myself uh, about uh, orchestration. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to keep the score uh, as bare bones as possible. I still want it to be a bit of a sketch of what an orchestra could do, uh, sort of like um, kind of a demo sized uh, type of a thing, because I mean, due to time constraints and stuff, that's really all I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm trying to get as full and as uh, emotive uh, a sound as I possibly can uh, out of that. But, uh, but yeah, so basically, you know, I'll lay down, usually what I'll do is I'll lay down, I'll come up with a little ostinato, uh, which is a little, you know, one or two bar, uh, uh, kind of couple of notes that that kind of you can build off of. Um, I'll throw in some some bass instruments, some, some bass or some, uh, you know, cello or something like that, and then I'll mm-hmm. sort of build off of that. But I, I try not to build too high, um, and and again, mostly because of time constraints. Well, it doesn't sound thin or too rough, you know. Like, cool. I, I think I think strings go a long way into just filling volume in, in well, sound. This is, this is the great thing about, right. uh, about East West and, and indeed actually uh, pretty much any of the, the major um, orchestra VSTs or instruments mm-hmm. is they, they've got a base of like, here's your full strings. So you can right. be playing, you, you know, you can be playing a chord of full strings and it sounds like, uh, you know, an entire string section. Yeah, no, you, you achieve some pretty rich results with uh, obviously, you know, very um i guess sparse instrumentation i guess or, or yeah. sparse notation right like yeah. you, you don't have to have that many tracks to to get something that's going to convey the emotion that you're looking for right. uh, i think it works i think it works great because i there's never there's there's never been one second that i've been listening to this where i felt like the score wasn't servicing the the story or it, it just took the wrong tack to you know trying to convey you know emotion like there, there was never anything that felt tonally uh like a misstep Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear that because there have been, like I say, like with time constraints, there have been sound cues where I'm like, am I, am I up my own ass with this sound cue? Is there like, is there, 
is there a little too much flute going on here versus, uh, you know, the French horn I've got going on right. over to the left. So it is nice to hear that, uh, that that's not what it sounds like. No, you'll always be your worst critic. So no, nobody's listening, you know, with an eye to trying to find fault with it. Right. So as long as it's, you know, subtle enough and it's servicing the story enough that people aren't uh, focusing in on it, then you're really doing your job. And right. uh, yeah, so it's, it's been working fine for me. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Can I say up my own ass? Is that okay? <laughs> Absolutely. We can fix <laughs> right. that in post. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So do we have any other comments about the sound? Because there's something I want to get into with, uh, <laughs> with the Luke stuff going on in the script. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Let's jump into Luke. No, we've, we've geeked out on the score. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk a little Star Wars now. Okay. So you obviously played Luke. So number one, what was that like and how did you go about creating uh, a character of your own for this? Uh, that was uh, sort of akin to the score in that uh, I wanted it to feel like Luke and obviously Mark Hamill is Luke. I mean, is, is, is so much of that, his mannerisms and the way he speaks and his kind of sardonic little asides and things um, are, are so much a part of who Luke is. And, and I wanted to capture that, but at the same time, I mean, I, you know, Mark Hamill's Mark Hamill and I'm not. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I wanted to read the lines as, you know, I wanted to hit the emotion behind them while at the same time kind of feeling as much like Luke as, mm-hmm. uh, as I could. Sure. Yeah. And the next thing I want to get into is, my favorite part of this script so far, and that has been Luke haunting Kylo Ren and trying <laughs> to reach Ben through all of this stuff. I mean, it was super cool to see. I feel like that was one of the biggest things that they missed on the rise of Skywalker, which I liked. Um, Me too. But there was this one comment in episode eight that kind of died and what we got in episode nine, but lives here. And that's where Luke looks at Kylo Ren and says, <laughs> see you around kid. <sighs> yeah. You got thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, last Jedi set, set up a lot of things that rise of Skywalker didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely, I absolutely would have loved that. One thing that I really love about uh, duel of the fates is I like that it does that it continues the idea of marrying the dark and the light mm-hmm. that that there's not one plane to exist on you you sort of have to straddle both and you have to do that sort of uh um responsibly or whatever uh you have to own your your anger and hatred and you have to be able to use it to, uh in a constructive way mm-hmm. um and, and and I really enjoy that so I think the idea of Luke living in uh Kylo Ren's head uh is it's it's wonderful and it 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 goes a long way to sort of like um, Kylo Ren has always been conflicted. He's always been battling uh, the light, uh, uh, you know, so why shouldn't that take on the form of, of Luke Skywalker now that Luke Skywalker is on that plane? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it, it also um, uh, kind of incorporates his familial ties. Uh, you know, I mean, you can't really forget, you can't really uh, get rid of who your family is. Um, and, you know, the most powerful Jedi now you know, lives inside your head and is, <laughs> is battling who you think you need to be. Uh, yeah, I, I think, there, man, <laughs> I, I loved uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. I chose to love Rise of Skywalker <laughs> because at the end of the day, 
it is a fantastic action movie. It's a fantastic fantasy adventure movie. It's a lot of fun. And honestly, that's what Return of the Jedi was. Uh, so I was like, you know what? Cool. Plot holes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you know, I can ignore them for a really fun movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, doing Duel of the Fates, I'm just like, oh, man, the things that could have been. Yeah. Well, to me, the one thing that I can never ignore, and it pisses me off every time I watch episode eight, is that one line. And maybe I'm maybe I'm holding way too much to <laughs> that one line. We all know what he's talking about. We yeah. know that, oh, yeah, he's going to right. be that force ghost in episode nine. Uh, of course, in Duel of the Fates, it drives Kylo Ren uh, further down in the hole of the dark side because he's getting so pissed off by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, uh, yeah, that was one thing that we missed in an episode nine every time I watch it because I like episode nine a lot. That's the one thing I'm just like, ah, Luke needs to be in Kylo Ren's head. Like he needs yeah, to be there right. talking to him. Otherwise, he's just like hanging out with the other force ghosts and like, hey, I told Kylo that I was going to go and see him but i'm like not so is that not cool i guess i guess i'm just gonna sit here <laughs> but honestly i don't have the time <laughs> or the energy you're you're right to get hung up on that zach because that's the climax of episode eight is yeah. you know this is the most poignant moment this is this is the moment where kylo ren has to decide whether he's going to kind of see reason or double down mm-hmm. and luke has made it very clear that there's no escaping it right. so luke is is saying in episode eight there's no way that this is the end of this, right? Like, you know, I've done what I needed to do here today, but yeah, if, if you don't come around, you are going to be haunted. You know, there's, there's no way to just absolve yourself of this. And uh, the fact that that just never materialized again in episode nine or had any payoff, it it is one of the things that feels like it's just hanging out there waiting to be dealt with. And uh, yeah, it's nice to have this alternate reality where we can dig into that a bit more. Honestly, Zach, it's funny um, that you bring it up because before, like, we got a lot of um, kind of forewarning uh, before Rise of Skywalker came out that, like, hey, this is probably going to pivot in a lot of ways (laughs) from, you know, Ryan Johnson's vision or whatever. But uh, uh, so I think I was so geared up for that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, initially on Rotten Tomatoes or something, it was sitting at like 53% or something. And I was like, I think I was so. I so geared up for that that I was like, okay, I'm just going to go in expecting. I'm going to go in watch, you know, watching a Star Wars movie that is a Skywalker saga movie, but it's a different movie. So I think I was so divorced from the things of Last Jedi. And to be honest, I actually had to sort of train myself with Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of uh, a kind of rough spots. Now, I mean, I absolutely love it, but uh, so it wouldn't have necessarily even bothered me. Now it's going to bother me every time <laughs> I watch it, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's an absolutely interesting point. But but I think I was just so uh, so inert to the fact that this is just going to be a different experience. Yeah, well, I mean, and that was one of the things that I thought JJ was going to bring back because it, whenever he pitched this whole uh, trilogy to Mark Hamill, and like, hey, I need you back. Mark Hamill said that it was like him picking up a whole bunch of big stuff with the force. Like he wasn't going to touch a lightsaber a lot and it was going to be awesome. And he was exciting to reprise that version of Luke. Um, and so I, th- I thought we were going to get that back. And so that was my, my one big disappointment when mm-hmm. we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm definitely on board with that. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm an absolute apologist for, uh, <laughs> for, for so much of it. Uh, because I just, I want, I want, you know, especially having kids, I want a, a Star Wars experience for them that they can cling to the way I did. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to do it, you know, gently. They're, they're th- three and five years old. So, 
they're just on the cusp of getting, uh, you know, excited about it kind of thing. So I don't want to push mm-hmm. it too much, but uh, I, but I definitely want to have Star Wars to share with them. And I think new Star Wars is the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's certainly a, a lot to enjoy there. If, of course, you know, you're just willing to gloss over certain storylines that just yeah. never end up <laughs> doing what you think <laughs> they're going to do. Uh, but that is the the joy of the sequel trilogy. Um, yeah. So w- what else we got here, Zach? Uh, Casey, where can the people find you and listen to your awesome opinion some more? <laughs> <laughs> um those were all my awesome opinions. The rest <laughs> of my opinions are stupid. Uh, so you can uh, check out the podcast uh, that I host with my two friends uh, called Time Bandits. Um, it's a uh, mostly weekly podcast uh, where we pick a movie. Uh, right now we've been doing 1980. So we travel back in time to 1980 uh, to discuss a movie from uh, from that year. Uh, and we each bring with us uh, a song from 1980 that we uh, talk about. Um, it's a good time with a bunch of stupid idiots who like to, <laughs> to rip on movies. Very good. Well, Casey, thank you so much for joining us this week on Talking Faith. It was so great to hear how you came up with the sound for this production, uh, kind of the hurdles that you had to overcome with everything being in a quarantine and just hearing about that score. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, until we meet back with our heroes in the final installment of Duel of the Fates, this is Zach Logan signing off from The Resistance.